Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Matt Coleman, assistant coach with the Stouffville Spirit. With a background in psychology, Matt has a tremendous understanding of working with players and has fused that with a strong understanding of the game overall. Working his way from the ground up, Matt's story shows drive and determination mixed with honesty, making for a great overall interview. With that, here's Matt Coleman, assistant coach with the Stouffville Spirit. As Hockey Minds, we're taking in a lot of NHL games left, right, and center lately. But this weekend, we're shifting gears, as the 55th Super Bowl is this weekend. And a game this big deserves a big prize, not just some trophy. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy sports partner of Super Bowl 55, has up to $55 million in total prizes up for grabs with their Super Bowl prediction pool. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings' free Super Bowl Prediction Challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. Download the app now and enter the free prediction challenge. Answer questions like, who will score last? And get ready to make it rain. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl Prediction Challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use promo code THPN now and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl Challenge only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Matt Coleman, assistant coach with the Stouffville Spirit. Matt, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's exciting to get you on. And we had a little bit of a quick turnaround here uh, for listeners who don't know the process that I usually do. Uh, we usually give about a week in advance to uh, talk questions and discuss the interview. But uh, Matt kind of jumped in here in a, a very quick turnaround. So uh, thanks again for joining me today. But we'll, uh, we'll get right into it and hopefully have a great conversation. Yeah, I'm happy to uh, to be the pinch hitter today, and like you said, hopefully it's a, a great conversation. Yeah, well, I think this pinch hitter will has a potential for a home run swing. So <laughs> let's uh, let's start off with uh, learning a little bit about you. Uh, maybe talk about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and just give us a little bit of a background on on who you are as a person. Sure. So uh, I grew up in in Newmarket, Ontario, which is about an hour north of Toronto, and I guess grew up like most kids, you know, playing playing hockey in, in the winter and for me playing baseball in the summer those were kind of two of my, my two of my favorite sports um and did some hockey in the in the summer too and some three on three and stuff like that but that was about it and and uh played all the way up through high school and uh maybe a little bit past high school but just played kind of competitive but definitely didn't play at the collegiate level or the, the pro level junior level anything like that and uh and just really loved it um, in terms of who I am as a person, um, you know, I've, uh, 
middle child, so uh, read into that as you may. Um, but uh, yeah, just came from a pretty standard family, I think, in, in Newmarket, Ontario. And uh, I love to travel, love to hike, uh, love to read, and uh, love to coach. Yeah, and coaching has definitely been a part of your lifestyle, uh, as we talked about earlier. But um, it's always interesting to hear because sometimes, uh, you know, hockey is, is a lot of times involved and uh, everybody thinks, okay, to be someone who's able to coach or work in hockey operations, you have to be an elite player. But I appreciate those like yourself and like me who uh, maybe the skill set wasn't there with, with some of the other people in the region, but you were still stuck at it and, and played the game and were able to uh, turn it into, you know, a career and a lifestyle moving forward. So um, one of the things that you did before kind of getting into coaching was you went to school pursuing sport and performance psychology. Uh, maybe just talk about the process of, of going through that schooling and how your interest in coaching kind of fueled that passion early on. Sure. So that, that was actually after my first year of coaching. So I was actually lucky enough to coach in Newmarket in my hometown uh, in 2010. I coached uh, novice single A, so little guys. And, uh, and it was a great experience. And the parent group was amazing and extremely supportive. I was 22 or 23. And I knew after my undergrad degree at, at Brock University, I always knew I wanted to go back to school and, and pursue either a master's or a law degree or, or something. And so uh, during that year of coaching, I, you know, I fell in love with it and, and just loved being around the team and, and practice and games and competing and, and all that. And so that year I started researching different programs and I found one at the University of Denver uh, that was, as you said, a, a master's in sport and performance psychology. So lucky, you know, very lucky to be admitted to the program and, and I moved down there for two years and uh, it was just kind of the two best years of my life, to be honest, extremely uh, incredible program, incredible faculty, very applied program. So we were working with clients, we were observing athletes of all ranges and ages in all sports. We, we had an opportunity to see just tremendous guest speakers in, in the sports ecology industry and, and visit the United States Olympic Committee, which is kind of down the road from Denver and Colorado Springs. And, um, and it was, yeah, just an amazing experience. And, you know, I certainly don't do a lot of like applied sports psychology work with athletes that I coach now, but my, my education, my background certainly informs my coaching. You know, it, it's part of kind of who I am as a coach now in terms of creating an environment, communicating with the athletes, building that relationship, building trust, uh, and then one thing over the last few years that I've really tried to dive into is the, the skill acquisition process and kind of the, the, you know, motor patterns, acquiring different motor patterns and kind of get into the skill development things. So uh, that's really been uh, where my passion lies in terms of sports psych. I love hearing where the, uh, the influence comes in, in pursuing education and uh, psychology is something that my sister is very interested in, not so much my, my forte, but I always love talking about it and, and seeing how it can be applied to, uh, you know, scouting and coaching and different things like that. Uh, just backtracking a little bit, maybe go back into that novice position. It's, uh, it's not a level we talk about often on the podcast, but, um, you know, reading people's backgrounds and, and reviewing resumes as I usually do, we see that a lot of people kind of start at that level and go through that experience. So, maybe to inform people who are looking to get into coaching and give some people a refresher who have gone through it before. What's it like working with that, you know, such a young age group and uh, you know, maybe as a, as a young coach wanting to be competitive and having that passion push you into coaching, 
maybe just taking a step back and, and focusing more on the fun. Maybe just talk about that experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I really have nothing bad to say about it. The par- Like I said, the parent group was absolutely amazing. It was, uh, they're eight years old. It was single A. So it was, you know, a lot of the kids were just happy. They made a rep team and, and they were happy to get the, the jacket and, and the tracksuit and the jersey and all that, the red helmet and all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, at that age, that, that's a big part of it, right? And, uh, and yeah, I had, you know, four, I, I was a non-parent coach, obviously. And I had four of the dads, uh, you know, as part of the coaching staff. And they were like, fantastic, absolutely amazing in it for the right reasons, really fun. Um, you know, we, we obviously strive to improve and get better and, and do all those things, but we knew it was, uh, you know, a, a lot of fun as well. And, um, and we weren't a great team, you know, we were fine. But, uh, but we have a lot of great memories still. I run into people and, and I'm still in contact with people from that team. So it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's a great learning experience too, just working with, you know, eight-year-olds in terms of attention span and, and uh, understanding that you might be explaining something that you think is pretty clear, but maybe to an eight-year-old, it's, it's not. And even things that you can take to, to other ages, you know, you're explaining things one way but it's getting interpreted 15 different ways, you know, and everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has a different understanding of how they learn. Is it visual? Is it auditory? Is it kind of body, like kind of kinesthetic? They have to go through the drill on their own with their body or be on the ice to understand it. Or can they see it on video? Can they see it on the board? So just a a great learning opportunity for me. And and like I said, I I have nothing bad to say about it at all. It's so fun when you get to go on the the ice with, with kids at that age and, I've been able to do it in camps and, and things like that. And it's just, it's always a positive experience. And uh, everybody talks about the entry level for, for a player uh, being around that age, but for a coach having a positive experience uh, with that age group can also push you to, to move forward in the game. And for you, you'd have a gradual increase in age group and you'd work with a Bantam AA team in the U S uh, talk about that experience and maybe how it differed. And as a result, how your approach changed. Yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to coach both years. I was in Denver as well. And uh, I, I was lucky. So I, I lived across the street from DU and they have a, a rink on campus where the where their varsity team plays and their, their uh, D1 team plays. And I would go to the rink in the evenings and watch uh, practices because I wanted to coach, but I didn't really know anybody and didn't really know how to get in contact with anybody in different organizations. So I saw one practice, one team practice about two or three times in a row, one week, and they only had one coach on the ice. So I finally tracked down his, knew who he was and tracked down his information and emailed him and asked if he needed an assistant. And he said, yeah, we practice tomorrow at 7 PM, bring your skates, you know? So he was obviously very welcoming and very open. And so that was, uh, that was my second year coaching. And it was a Bantam double A team. So obviously in the States, it's, it's a bit different, you know, there's in, in Ontario at, at the young age, like you play where you live, you know, it was the new market Redmond. If you lived in the new market, you played for new market. If you lived in Aurora, you played for Aurora, that type of thing in the States, it's a lot more moving around and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we, we had tournaments in different States and hopping on planes and stuff. So it was, a, it was a bit different that way. But in terms of the age group, I mean, it was it was my first exposure to like teenagers. They were, you know, 14, like 13 or 14. But same thing, it, you know, really great kids, nice families, 
certainly some tension at times, like there is on every team and, and some players are, are upset at, at things. But I think what I, what I really enjoyed about that team was kind of seeing them grow up a little bit. And I think they were grade nine. So like starting high school and going through that year and transitioning. And, and obviously that's like a really influential year uh, or in, influential age for a lot of us. Right. So um, that was really meaningful to me. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, when, when you're exposed to now coaching teenagers is definitely going to change your approach uh, and you have to deal with different things. And then with the U S system, the way that the minor hockey is more uh, travel based and, and t- players moving around as you, as you pointed to there, um, definitely an opportunity to learn as a coach as well. And uh, good on you for, you know, kind of jumping into that situation and, and recognizing that they need another coach and, and having a learning experience at the same time. Yeah, no, I was, I was really lucky. The, the gentleman I coached with, his name's Colin Dodunsky and uh, he's a Canadian. He's originally from Ottawa and he had played division one hockey, um, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years prior to that. And, and just, you know, turned out to be a great mentor and a great friend and we're still in contact today. And, and as you mentioned, just a wonderful opportunity to learn from him uh, as we went through the season. Yeah. And then you were able to apply what you learned and take it up another level uh, this time working and coaching at the university level. So talk about how you found yourself in that position and then how that time went uh, coaching at the university level. So, it, it, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, I, at the time, just checking coaching like job boards over the summer. And I saw that the University of Colorado had a posting for for their ACHA team, which is club hockey. It's not NCAA division one or three, it's, it's ACHA hockey. So I just applied um, because I was going to be doing my, my second year uh, in Denver and the university of Colorado was in Boulder, which is about a, a 30 or 40 minute drive. So it was, it was feasible and went through the interview process, which still to this day is probably the toughest one I've been through. It was like 90 minutes and they were pretty, you know, some, pretty harsh questions and, and stuff. So that, that was a great experience and, um, and got, got in the system position there. And obviously coaching, you know, college athletes was a totally different ball game. Uh, the head coach and I were both new to the program. The, um, the arena and athletic center was under renovation. So, you know, we didn't really have a dressing room. We, it was kind of like a bit of a mess, um, but looking back, it was like an awesome experience. We practiced at 6 a.m. Uh, twice a week and stuff. So it was uh, it was just a very unique experience. And same thing there. We got to travel to, you know, South Dakota and Iowa, and we went to California for a bit of a tournament. So, um, again, a lot more travel-based. And then just dealing with young men and, and trying to be a good role model to them as well. When myself, I... I was younger than a couple of players on the team or right around the same age. So that that's, you know, the only time that's ever happened to me in my coaching. So, so that was an interesting dynamic as well. So, yeah, just, you know, my first three years, I guess I've never really thought about it, but my first three years offered really wide variety of experiences. Yeah, definitely. And I like how you talked about, uh, you know, being similar age and, and I've been in that position as well, kind of helping out players who are, maybe your age or, or you're younger and, and it can change your dynamic, but at the same times, maybe you can relate a little bit better. And uh, I find the players give back to uh, that kind of structure in their coaching staff. So that's another thing to consider. But like you said, anytime that you can go into a new team at the next level and uh, approach it for what it is and go in with an open mind, you can learn and 
or you know take so many things away from that that you'll then move and bring into that next position uh you know which is a consistent theme here so the next position that i want to talk about maybe grouping a few here together as the next four or five years you coach at the triple a level in ontario maybe just talk about uh the experiences that you had there overall and uh, working with teams in the minor midget level bantam triple a level and and some other levels there Sure. Yeah. So after I, I was, I completed my, my degree at, in Denver, I, I moved back to Toronto and, uh, and yeah, for four years, I was able to coach at the AAA level with the Mississauga reps, as you mentioned, the Yorks and the co-express and the, and the Toronto Marlies. And um, it was, again, you know, some head coaching positions, some uh, assistant coaching positions uh, and from PUE to minor midget. So uh, again, wide range, tremendous learning opportunities worked with, you know, probably a dozen different coaches and different personalities, lots of different teams and parents and organizations and things. So really interesting, obviously the, the minor midget year with the reps, um, you know, we were basically a 500 team and we didn't have any uh, high draft picks or anything, but just going through the minor midget process uh, with the OHL draft and things and trying to keep kids present and keep them, you know, not too focused on scouts or the draft while still, understanding that that's a major goal of theirs, you know, and, and balancing that whole thing and, and same with the parents. So that, that was a great experience. And again, I was able to, to learn from a, a great coach there too. And, uh, and then, yeah, I was able to work with uh, some great players along the way who taught me a lot. And, and I know that at the same time, you know, I look back and I'm, I'm proud of a lot, but I know I, I made a lot of mistakes and, and learned a lot and, and uh, would change a few things. So it's, it's a gradual process for me as well. I try to reflect specifically every summer, but obviously throughout the year as well and try to reflect on what I can do better and uh, take that into the next season. Yeah, it's, uh, it was interesting to go back to the resume and see the teams that you were able to be a part of. And uh, the minor midget year is one that we've talked about a lot on the podcast. And uh, maybe just keeping on that topic, uh, you know, no players have to be mentioned or anything like that. But what we talked about with other guests uh, in that year is, is working with some elite teams who've been in positions where a lot of players are on the radar and trying to keep them calm. And I like how you talked about, you know, some teams, uh, you know, they're always on the radar, but it might not be a, an all-star team with a number of first round draft picks. And, uh, you know, it's a unique situation where you're trying to balance expectations, but still push them to, to go to that next level. So maybe just talk about what it's like uh, dealing with that situation and, and just some tips that you have maybe for, for coaches who are in a similar situation. Yeah. I think the, the first thing is just kind of setting a bit of an expectation at the beginning of the season. And the term I like to use is opening the conversation and just asking the players, getting their input and, and getting them to speak up. Like, what are you looking forward to most in this season? You know, what are you kind of apprehensive about or what are you, nervous for um, what are some challenges you think might be unique to this year that weren't present in the past and just getting that kind of open communication going and even even with the parents as well I think is really important and saying hey this is this is you know our, our game plan for the year these are the tournaments we're, we're you know going to be traveling to or participating in these are our team values and just being very explicit with with both players and coaches and or sorry players and parents in terms of um, the expectations, but also getting their input and asking the parents, hey, you know, what are you guys nervous for this year? And, and how do you guys think you might 
it's it might struggle a little bit more than other years and and just having honest open communication um and i don't mean maybe like you know the, the coach obviously has to be the one who kind of lays out maybe some some team rules or expectations or things like that but getting the involvement from from other parties i think is, is never a bad thing no, anytime you can collaborate and, and parents are, are definitely a big part of that as well in the minor hockey system. And, uh, you know, they need to be involved and uh, to an extent to, to help with the kids in that transition, because, uh, you know, for any player that's gone through that year and any coach who's been in that situation, there are so many voices and you have, you know, advisors and then you have team scouts and other coaches and college coaches and, and the list, it really is very extensive. So, uh, you know, a unique situation to go through. But uh, again, another great learning experience for any coach and any player uh, put in that situation. For sure. For sure. So the next stop I want to talk about is a jump to junior A. And we'll talk about the year with New Market. Uh, I know you're from the area. So it's a, a little bit of a homecoming in that sense. But maybe just talk about um, the process of, of getting into that junior A situation. And Again, how did it differ this time working with uh, some of the best junior players, uh, you know, in Ontario and, and in the country? Sure. So, yeah, again, I, I don't know if I realized it at the time, but coaching in your hometown is kind of nice and kind of a, a cool thing. So that, that was that was nice. In terms of how I got into that position, it was honestly kind of um, unexpected. Uh, honestly, I was at one of my friend's weddings getting, you know, getting dressed and, and I got a call from Jim Wells, who I knew from the Newmarket area, kind of growing up uh, at the NTR and, and going through some, some skates and stuff with him. And he knew I'd been coaching with, with uh, the reps and the, and the Marlies and YSC and things. And, and we had met a few times about, you know, him kind of giving me some, some advice or some input. And he had said that they had an opening and they're looking for, a, he and the other coach were kind of established and um, had a lot more experience and maybe they were looking to bring some youth into the staff. So uh, luckily I, I fit that bill and, uh, and we chatted a, a couple of times and, and I, I kind of came onto the team. So, uh, you know, didn't see a posting. It was pretty unexpected to be honest, which was, which was great. And so going into that year, I really tried to go in with eyes wide open and I knew that I had never coached at that level. I obviously never played at that level. And so I still think, I had a lot to offer and a lot to bring and, and a different perspective, especially with, um, you know, the, the sports psychology side of things and, and kind of understanding maybe how people learn and how they acquire skills. Um, but really try to defer quite a bit, to be honest, the first little while and uh, get to know the players and, and build my credibility, credibility that way in terms of deep relationships with the players. And um, my attention to detail, my preparation, you know, I, it might be a joke, but it might not be too far from a joke, but uh, I think I was the only one who knew how to use like any video software on that team. So on this, on the staff. So I, I did all the video, uh, which was great, which I love. So, um, you know, again, the, the attention to detail I tried to provide and the preparation I tried to, tried to provide for the players. Uh, I tried to build my cred credibility up that way. Yeah. It's a, it's a unique approach and, I've seen situations in the past where, like you said, maybe you have two established coaches and they're looking for someone on the younger side who can, uh, you know, see things from a different perspective or, or simply help with video and, and these different things. And other times you even have a young staff looking for a more established coach, but 
a unique situation and uh, being someone who's also been able to work with their hometown team and the Newfoundland Growlers, it's uh, it's always a little extra special, you know, being able to go into that position and uh, give back in a sense or, or work with a team that you kind of look up to, um, you know, in, in the past. So a positive experience uh, jumping into junior A and one of the things that you said about there was the fact that you really early on just wanted to meet the players and establish some connections and, uh, you know, before really going full into the, the coaching side of it, you just really wanted to build those relationships. And for anybody working this season, they know that's tough just because of mm-hmm. not being able to connect, uh, you know, nowhere near as often as we'd like to. So currently you work with the Stoville Spirit Junior A team and, uh, you know, you've been on the ice a little bit with that team, but maybe talk about the process of joining the team and uh, you know, how it's been kind of transitioning into that position uh, during COVID. Sure. So um, I got put in contact with, with Andrew Campoli, who's the head coach there through a a mutual, a mutual friend, a mutual contact. And again, you know, we had just talked about maybe bring a fresh perspective to maybe a more experienced staff. Um, Andrew really wants to build a, a, a young staff. And um, I think we're the three of us, uh, Connor Cataret is, I think he was a guest on the podcast as well. Um, I think he's in his late twenties, Andrew and I are in our early thirties. And so he really had this idea of like building a, a young staff together and helping and having us grow up in a way together, which I really loved. And, and I hadn't thought about it like that because as a younger coach in my early twenties, mid twenties, I always thought about kind of pairing up with a mentor and learning from them. But um but now with the young coach, it's, it's been great. And I, I think that that perspective is, is great. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been really difficult to build relationships. I think we had a couple skates in August, maybe, or when, you know, when the government restrictions allowed us to. Um, but other than that, we've had a couple Zooms, but it's been, uh, it's been a bit slow going, obviously, with the lockdown here in Ontario and in Toronto specifically. Uh, it's been kind of uh, seasons, everything's been on pause. So we certainly have, there are a couple of players who I know who maybe have coached in minor hockey or who I've coached in, in junior A and, and we've acquired or something like that. So I do know a, a few players pretty well, but it's, it's tough. And they've got, you know, a lot of them are in high school still or planning for university. So they've got a lot on their plate in terms of homeschooling and Zoom and everything. So um, we try to be mindful of that as well. But, you know, when things do get started, then, then we'll start the process and, uh, and continue to, to build those relationships and go from there. Yeah. Just really take every opportunity you can to connect. But like you said, when, when you're in that age group, you do have a lot of people who are trying to deal with school and, and those decisions. And especially this year with homeschooling and, and doing it over, you know, zoom and, and other platforms, it's, uh, it, it can be a lot of stress on some of those players. So it's, uh, it's important to be mindful of that and, um, you know, it definitely changes the dynamic of everything you're trying to do. But at the end of the day, you, you learn to deal with it and, and try to move forward uh, in a positive motion. For sure. One of the other opportunities I want to talk about as we continue here is uh, the opportunity to teach at Humber. Uh, you know, that's a little bit of a different route, um, but one that's interesting to me because you can really learn to to work with a different age group and work on your communication skills. So talk about that opportunity uh, the overall experience and maybe how you developed your ability to work with people uh, outside of the game in, in hopes of bringing that back into the game of hockey. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I was really lucky um, to get on with Den- with uh, Humber 
when I was in Denver, um, there was a, a conference that we hosted and uh, one of the speakers was uh, Dr. Ashwin Patel. And uh, he was a professor of sports psychology at Western, I think it used to be called Western States University in Western Colorado. I think it has since changed its name, but yeah, he was a speaker on a panel and uh, he got introduced and he was, he's Canadian. He's originally from Chatham, I believe. And uh, so after the panel, I just went up to him and introduced myself as kind of the, the two, only two Canadians, you know, in the room. And we kind of just chatted for a few minutes. And then fast forward, you know, eight months or a year even, and uh, a, a friend of mine who, who went to Humber, who was a student at Humber, uh, gave me a call and said, hey, my prof wants your uh, resume. Uh, they're looking for a sports like pro uh, professor. Uh, it's, uh, it's Ashwin Patel. I said, Ashwin Patel, he lives in Colorado. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, no. He came back this past summer and he's teaching at Humber now. So, um, so I was able, you know, I was able to, to get on with the course at Humber in 2014, teaching sports psychology. And, and that, that kind of grew into five years of teaching sports psychology at, at Humber. Uh, so yeah, no, it was a great experience. And I think a, a couple of things taking it from, from Humber to hockey is, as you mentioned, just, you know, kind of owning a room a little bit and becoming comfortable um, in all sorts of different environments, whether it's, you know, an 8 a.m. Friday morning class where people are half asleep and you have to be a little bit more energetic or, or you know, a, a noon class where or a, or a 1 p.m. class where they're kind of going off the rocker a little bit and you have to calm down and, and understanding, again, just how people learn and understanding uh, that people learn from all different, in, in all different ways. And I think with Humber, Humber is a, a very diverse school in general and our program uh, uh, followed that as well. So understanding that, you know, people come from different experiences, different backgrounds. Uh, you know, most people who play hockey, um, you know, probably maybe come from affluent areas and, and hockey's not the cheapest sport around, obviously. So just um, being more exposed to that and understanding different, different backgrounds, I think is really valuable and, and trying to apply that to hockey and having that, that empathy or that understanding, that awareness um, is really important. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great point to make. And, uh, you know, when, when you're dealing with people like that, you really are working to understand them and, and see where they come from. And I think that really ties into psychology and maybe your background there. And uh, next thing I want to talk about is emergent. And, and that I know, you know, before that you worked with consistently performance for a brief amount of time and, and had a little bit of experience there. So maybe just walk us through the process of starting Emergent and uh, just how it's been thus far. Sure, sure. So while I was at Humber in coaching uh, all those years, I also did a little consulting on the side as, as, a, as a bit of a side gig. So I would work with athletes, primarily athletes from, you know, age 10 to 20, let's say, and typically on the high performance side of things, you know, whether it's double A, triple A hockey, whether it's, you know, provincial level soccer, uh, collegiate sport in, in the NCAA, you know, athletes who wanted to take their sport outside of just, you know, youth sport. So uh, we would work on building mental skills, you know, things like confidence and focus and, and uh, overcoming any performance anxiety, talking about motivation, engagement, a lot of mindfulness in the last few years and being present. Uh, and then just you know, helping them make sense of their experience, make sense of 
maybe their successes of their failures or their, or their struggles, helping them process maybe a, a coach who's overly difficult or any conflict with a teammate or, you know, their varying commitment levels. Sometimes they don't want to go to practice. And does that mean they don't love their sport anymore? And all those, all those questions, helping them process that. And so um, I, I was doing that along with coaching and, and teaching at Humber. And I, I kind of decided that um, that was where I, I wanted my career to go and um, or my consulting career anyway. And I decided to leave Humber and pursue consulting full time. So I, I, I still work with athletes, um, but more so now is kind of branching out into the corporate world and applying the same principles of high performance and, and mental skills and mental conditioning. But instead of applying it to soccer, we apply it to sales. Uh, or finance, or law, or you know, digital media, or advertising, or or whatever domain the, the client works in, and it's a it's a lot of workshops and and kind of content delivery, and then a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. So I think that's where the most impact happens in, in that one-on-one. -on -one. In terms of you know how it started at the beginning, like I think maybe like most entrepreneurs, like pretty slow going, and uh, I probably tried to take on too much on my own. And um, a few months ago, I, I was able to hire a like a freelance social media manager who's been great, who took that off my plate. Um, social media is not really my game. And um, so that's been really helpful. And things were going quite well. You know, it's consistent work, which at the beginning, all you can hope for as an entre entrepreneur. And then COVID hit uh, in, in March, obviously. So um, all of my clients suspended services in March. So obviously that, that was um, unexpected, but in the grand scheme of life, like I was healthy my family was healthy. We were okay. You know, um, people have a lot of bigger issues. I try to keep that in perspective. So, so we tried to transition online pretty quick and offer kind of online webinars, workshops, one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching online. So that's what we did in April and May. And then starting up in September, uh, this past September 2020, um, working back again with some clients as they had some some employees come back and and kind of had some more clarity around what their work might look like and once there was uh, some consistency there. So that's uh, that's where we're at in terms of what we do now. Yeah, we work with clients on uh, on, on building those mental skills. We do a lot of leadership development. So if you're if you have a leadership uh, role on a team? How do you create that high performance environment? How do you communicate effectively? How do you balance empathy and conviction? You know, those are two things that are seen to be in contrast sometimes. So, uh, so yeah, those are some of the things we discuss. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of different things need to be considered in, in that type of uh, that type of work. But you know, COVID really uh, does hamper a, a lot of people, and and it definitely played an impact there. But it's good to hear that you're able to get back in the swing of things and, and have some clients come back and, and with the online platform, maybe uh, be able to change your service there to make it work. Uh, yeah. We've, uh, we've added in a lot of uh, asynchronous video, which I didn't know existed pre COVID. So we've, we've tried to do that. And honestly, you know, with, with zoom and, and all these different platforms in a way it, it's been good that we've been able to reach more clients than ever you know, doing some workshops in, in the States or doing some workshops overseas. Obviously we, like I would have never been able to do that in person, getting on a, a flight and going to Europe, you know, that, that just wouldn't have happened. Right. So the convenience of video does increase our reach a little bit. 
obviously it's not the same as working in person, um, but, uh, but we try to make the best of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving into some reflective and opinion questions. Uh, you know, you've been able to work with kids uh, coaching at the, you know, the youngest levels and novice level all the way up to junior. And uh, you did some consulting and that as well with different ages. So do you feel there's a difference in your approach to working with players who are in minor hockey as opposed to junior? And should we be looking to start the type of coaching, you know, uh, worrying about mental performance and things like that? Uh, is this something that should be started very early? Or is it something that you kind of want to look at a little bit later in the, as a kid develops, uh, both as a player and then off the ice? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I used to say they're, they're never too young to learn leadership skills or they're never too young to learn some self-awareness, you know, and, and emo emotional regulation is one thing that we work on pretty much with every team, every client, every athlete getting frustrated, identify, you know, even speaking to a novice player, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, you know, understanding and having them say, I feel frustrated right now, you know, and instead of just taking a penalty or maybe even crying, but being able to identify those emotions within themselves, obviously, I think that's a life skill. So I, I think any age is, is fine. The, the way that you tailor the the education is different. Obviously with young kids, maybe it's a lot more experiential. It's a lot more activity-based or game-based. And then you kind of take lessons from the game you just played and say, okay, how does how did you deal with frustration in the game? And how do you deal with frustration in, in hockey? Or what are some frustrating things in hockey or something like that? Where if, as you get older, maybe it's a lot more education-based, a lot more kind of conversation-based. Um, the, the way you communicate concepts would be maybe a bit more detailed as they get older. Uh, so that would be the difference in terms of tailoring it for, for different ages. And then in terms of tailoring my approach, um, I, I think you do, obviously, depending on the, the age level, depending on the, 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 the level, you know, double A, single A, triple A, junior, whatever it might be understanding what success means to that team or to that player, because that definition of success will change from player to player, from team to team. So understanding that, and, and again, having a, an open communication with the player on, on what that means to them and uh, trying to meet them where they are and not where you wish they would be. You know, that's a, that's something I've kind of noticed over the years. I think a lot of coaches say, Oh, I, you know, I wish this player was this, or oh, I wish they were smarter. And it's, it's, you know, what I try to do, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it as well, is meet them where they are, not where you want them to be, and, and help them get, get along that path. So um, that's how I try to tailor things differently. Well, I, I think that's a, a really good approach to that and a good way to uh, approach the situation because some people may not think, okay, uh, you work with younger kids, maybe you shouldn't work on the mental skills until they're old enough to really understand the ins and outs. But you know, you really do want to pay attention to it early on because like you said, they're still having their struggles and they might not communicate it or show it the same way, but still something that should be considered. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I was lucky enough to work with, a, like a, uh, I think we we're nine, nine years old uh, when I was in Denver, a hockey team. And uh, the, we, you know, we, again, we would play games or we would do this activity and then try to have a conversation around how does this relate to hockey and things. And the level of depth and thought that these nine-year-olds uh, expressed and communicated I was totally blown away, totally blown away. 
in terms of their leadership and the impact they want to have on their teammates uh, and things like that. And it's just, you'll, you know, you might be amazed at, at what a, a 10 year old or a 12 year old might say, who maybe sits in the, in the back of the line or sits in the back of the video session and doesn't say too much. And you might think they're not paying attention or that they don't care, but um, it, it's amazing sometimes what, what comes out of their mouth in terms of the, the leadership style that they have, even at that young age. So like I said, I, I was blown away and, and pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And, and there's so many kids uh, coming up through the system that really will blow you away for their, their skill set and their leadership. And, you know, two people that come to mind uh, as a scout's perspective and, and then doing some background research and finding out that you coach both of them are Quentin Byfield and Ty Nelson. You know, when you look at players of this skill set and, and the, the way that they approach the game on and off the ice, um, just talk about what you saw from, a, you know, a day in and day out being around them and uh, how did it lead to their on ice success in the long run? Yeah, obviously both like great kids, like really amazing young men who just love the game. I know it's, it might sound like a cliche, but who just like love coming to practice. You know, Ty Nelson, the guy you would have to scrape him off the ice at the end of practice. He wanted to stay on all the time and he was just such a good teammate, smile on his face all the time. Um, you know, asked for hard drills. Um, one story I like to tell around about uh, Ty Nelson is uh, we were kind of flipping pucks to the, he's a defenseman obviously, and flipping pucks to the, to the point from the corner, kind of off the glass and they'd have to, you know, knock down a rolling puck or knock down a bobbled puck. And Nelly was like, coach, like, give me a really dirty one. Give me, give me hard ones. Like he wanted it to be hard for him. He wanted to struggle. You know, he wanted to push himself. And I just always remember that, um, you know, give me a dirty one. Like that, you know, it's uh, just his enthusiasm for getting better. And then obviously Quentin, like everyone sees, you know, what kind of player he is and, and uh, what kind of um, young man he is with, with the work that he's done in, in Sudbury as well. And uh, yeah, just really, really happy for him. And, and same thing, loved, loved the rink, loved coming to the, loved, like just a great teammate, you know, loved his teammates, having fun at the rink, having a good time. And uh, despite his peewee coach, he was able to, to move, to go on and have a great, uh, great career to, in junior and, and uh, start professionally. Yeah, two outstanding young players. And, you know, you, you look in the interviews that they do uh, across different platforms, it's, uh, you can tell that the passion's there and, you know, you can learn a lot from those people and, and whether that be players or coaches, there's always something to learn. And the people at my hockey resource, they think the same way. They're a platform on discord, which have coaches and scouts and, and video coaches, analysts from all over the world who connect on different things like books and, and podcasts and, you know, the topics and conversation, they're uh, really endless. So for anybody listening, be sure to check out my hockey resource on Twitter and Instagram. Matt, I can see in the background here, you have a few books on your shelf and, uh, you know, coming from Humber and teaching there, you know, you've, you've had a couple of opportunities to uh, look at reference different things for different ideas. So for you personally, what are some of your favorite resources uh, to look to for new ideas? Sure. So the, the book that really, I guess, transformed the way that I coach, or I'd like to think it, it has, is The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. It's all about skill acquisition and, and practice design and how people learn and how people access motor patterns in their brain and things like that. It's, it is 
like neurosciencey, but it's also very easy. It's a quite an easy read and, and very, uh, you know, a bit of a page turner that way. So it's a good balance, but it, it just really explains the skill acquisition process uh, very clearly. So I, you know, it's full of writings and highlighter and things like that. And I, I refer back to it all the time. So I, I really highly recommend that one if, if you're a coach at any level. Uh, uh, the Rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler is probably my favorite book uh, in the last five or 10 years. It's all about flow and, and being in the zone. And it, it speaks specifically to high performance sport or um, like high risk sports. So snow, skiing and snowboarding, uh, surfing, base jumping, uh, you know, motocross or um, X games, stuff, stuff like that. But it, it, it's so transferable. And it talks a lot about pattern recognition, co um, cognition, information processing, attention. So Rise of Superman, again, highly, highly recommended. And actually one of my students at Humber recommended it to me uh, a few years ago, and I'm glad he did. And then the one I, I read most recently was The Playmaker's Advantage. Uh, by Len Zykowski. He was a sports psychologist at Boston University for many years and a professor there. And he also worked with, I think he worked with the Rangers and the Canucks in the NHL. He worked with many NHL teams over his career. And this one is all about what they call athlete cognition. So it's, it's all about hockey sense and how do you become a playmaker and how do you um, process the entire playing field, you know, uh, I know a lot of coaches, myself included, sometimes we get frustrated with players having a narrow scope of attention, only focus on the puck, and they, they don't see the game, quote unquote, you know, they don't read the game. We've all heard those lines. Um, so they kind of examine, you know, what goes into being a playmaker and what goes into athletes who have elite hockey sense. And uh, like I said, reading the entire playing surface, uh, anticipation, uh, spatial awareness, uh, really interesting stuff. So the playmaker's advantage um, it would be one I recommend as well. I think anytime you can figure out how hockey sense is created and get better in that area, it's uh, it's something anybody should look at. And, and uh, anybody in scouting, I think, especially would love to look at that book. But uh, a few great recommendations there. And um, always love that question just because you really do get a, a broad spectrum in, in books on hockey, but also other sports and sometimes psychology and uh, even as far as write, just simple writing poetry. I mean, everything mm -hmm. you can think of has been listed there. Uh, you know, throughout your career and, and throughout the experiences that we talked about today, you've had a lot of people who have, you know, kind of brought you into an organization or, or taught you along the way. So maybe just looking at your career as a whole, talk about some of the mentors who have helped you succeed and maybe some of the major lessons that they taught you along the way. Sure. So um, obviously Colin, uh, the, the gentleman I mentioned in Denver, Colin Dodunsky, he was uh, a great mentor and a great friend. And, and he was, he's a very kind of cerebral reflective guy, uh, kind of likes to reflect, likes to think. Uh, so that taught me uh, or you know, helped me realize the importance of that and taking time to reflect on our life and what we want to stand for and what we want to contribute to the world and kind of those big, big picture things. So uh, he, he helped me focus on that. Uh, I mentioned Ashwin Patel. Uh, he was one who, who uh, helped me get the, the job at Humber and I was able to work with him for five years at Humber. He was my boss for five years. So uh, tremendous mentor. He does a lot of work with 
um, the Guelph Storm and the Utica Comets and Hockey Canada on the mental skill side. He's, he's also, he has his doctorate, even his PhD in, in sports psychology. So he does a lot of applied work in the hockey world. So just bouncing ideas off of him and, and you know, even just him being there when I go through personal things in my life or professional challenges, uh, he was always there and, you know, his office door was always open and, and happy to happy to uh, lend lend an ear or take a phone call so just kind of being there and being empathetic I think is a, a strong suit of his that, that I try to follow and then there's certainly other mentors at, at Humber um, you know Jen Bennett's been great she she teaches there but she's been invo involved in in um, not Hockey Canada but uh, the Canada Games so uh, in, in high level sport and then just as I mentioned some some families throughout the years over the, uh, the the years that I've coached, you know the the Patterson's family, Fallot's family, Punnett's. I've just I was lucky enough to coach their kids, um, and and be in contact with with families. I don't have any kids yet of my own, so to see them raise their kids, go from you know ten years old to sixteen years old, and go off to university, and kind of those trials and tribulations that I'm sure all parents know what I'm talking about. Um, to to be able to see that pick their brain on it. Hey, how'd you make that decision? Hey, how'd you, you know, wasn't that a kind of a tough conversation and they were very open with me all the time. So um, I'd like to think that that's made me a more well-rounded coach as well, more well-rounded person. And obviously, my, you know, my parents, my family, I it wouldn't be anywhere without them. And uh, everyone in Denver, like I, the list could go on. I've been very lucky to, to have uh, tremendous mentors and people who believed in me and, and I hope to uh, pay it forward. You know, it really does take a community with anybody moving through the game of hockey, whether it's in coaching or another area. Uh, so many great people who just want to help you succeed and build you up to that next level. In an attempt to pay it back and a final question on the podcast today, if you could go back in time to yourself or someone else who's looking to get into the, the coaching industry, what's one piece of advice that you would give them hoping that they would succeed in coaching and hockey operations and life in general? So I'll, I'll start with the first part. If I could go back in time, I think I would drastically change the practices I used to run. Um, specifically in that four-year run that we were talking about where I was coaching AAA right after I got back from Denver. And just, you know, I think a, a weak aspect of my coaching uh, was skill development and skill acquisition and, and that sort of things. And I think that's what propelled me to, to dive into the science of it a bit more and, and get into the talent code and, and that type of stuff and, and run camps and put myself in uncomfortable positions. But at the time, I think it was quite a, a weak part of my game as a coach. So that's, that's the one thing I would change. I would try to dive into it sooner before somebody else told me it was a weakness. I'd, I'd like to look in the mirror and say, Hey, you know, you, you've got to, fix this you owe it to the kids um so that's that's one thing i would change and i guess maybe that goes to the second part of the question as well where um it reminds me of a a piece of advice a professor gave me at brock don't wait don't wait to get better you know time goes pretty quick so if you have an opportunity to learn from someone if you have the opportunity to to pick up a book or hop on a podcast um you know kind of make it happen especially when you're in a leadership position because the, the, you have a responsibility to those under your leadership uh, to help them reach their goals. And sometimes you look back and, and you think, you know, I, I didn't prepare them well enough, or I didn't know enough about 
skill development at the time and and it kind of eats away at you so um that would be one thing is to uh you know look in the mirror and be honest and have an honest kind of self-evaluation and say what do i need to get better at whether it's public speaking whether it's practice design systems skill skill development communicating with parents um attending conferences whatever it might be uh, really kind of dive into that and and uh be be prepared to kind of face your fears in that way face your fears and and really look for ways to improve because like you said at the end of the day there's always an opportunity to get better and those who you know jump into that area and really strive to get better eventually will get better and will move on in the industry and life in general so matt i just want to thank you again for jumping on the call today and walking through your career and diving into a number of interesting topics and uh you know hopefully things are back to normal soon enough and you can get going with the spirit and, and play some games and build those relationships and i wish you all the best moving forward thanks very much ryan all the best out east as well and uh, i really enjoyed our conversation all right i appreciate it take care i'd like to thank matt for joining me on the podcast and talking about his journey in the game having worked in various roles and working closely with some pretty elite players There were a lot of great takeaways throughout this one, so for bringing that element, I'd like to thank him once again. If you would like to get in touch with Matt to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Kurt Hill, General Manager and President of Hockey Operations with the Edmonton Oil Kings. A respected name in the WHL, Kurt will bring a lot of high-level advice, so stick around for that release on Wednesday. As always, thanks again for listening to the podcast, and thank you for your support as of late. We have lots more coming your way and more exciting announcements right around the corner. As always, stay safe, and all the best.